If you have your Bibles, this morning we'll be in Luke 12. The Gospel of Luke, 12th chapter, will be in verses 13 through 21. The Gospel of Luke 12, verses 13 to 21. If you found your spot, would you please stand for the reading of Christ's Word this morning? May you hear the word of Christ. Now someone from the crowd said to him, that is Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to him, Watch out and guard yourself from every form of greediness. Because not even when someone has an abundance does his life consist in his possessions. And he told him, saying, I told them, saying, The land of which a rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he reasoned to himself, saying, What should I do? For I do not have anywhere to get I can gather in my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and I will gather in there all my grain and possessions. And I will say to myself, Self, you have many possessions stored up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, celebrate. But God said to him, Fool, the night your life, this very night, is demanded from you. And the things which you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who stores up treasure for himself and who is not rich toward God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the text this morning, the scriptures that give us life as your church. So may you now open our hearts, open our heads, open the entirety of our lives, the emotional side, the physical, the spiritual side, all of who we are. May we receive the word that you have set aside for this very day. And may we receive it in order to be impacted, to be equipped, to be trained in order to be your disciples, the people who follow after our Christ who is king over every square inch of this world so that we might demonstrate his love, his compassion, his grace and mercy. And so, Lord, open our ears at this time. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. We're continuing this journey in the month of October of wise finances. And as I told you on that first day of uh, that first Sunday of October is that it's not so much how should I balance my pocketbook, how should I balance my finances, but we're really digging deep on something so much more deep at, uh, 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 underneath the layers of our hearts as it relates to our finances, that as we saw two weeks ago, that the heart is directly connected to our money. And so I'm going to continue in that same um, thread as it relates to finances in the heart this morning and trying to understand why this matters for our living as it relates to under uh, the, the reign and rule of Christ. There was this phrase that we used in seminary a lot. I shouldn't say a whole lot, but it would come across, and then if you were in the seminary world, you knew exactly what the professor was saying. It was what we call window-blind theology. Window-blind theology. It's this belief that Jesus could 
return at any moment, so people would stand at their windows, peeking through the blinds, waiting for him. And it's not, I'm not being crass about the fact that Jesus promises to return at any moment. That's not what I'm saying. But it's the lifestyle that was set for those who were awaiting. It was being paralyzed by the fact that Jesus could return any minute. And there was no action in part of the church who knew that Jesus could return at any minute. We understand the scriptures that Jesus promises to return again. But... Does that call us as the church to be still and to not do anything, to be apathetic and lazy? In fact, there was a window-blind theology type of question asked to the German reformer Martin Luther uh, in the 1500s. Somebody came to him and he was asked this question, Martin, if you knew that Jesus would return tomorrow, what would you do today? Martin Luther picked up on the question. He replied, well, it's simple. I would go and plant a tree. I would go and I would plant a tree. We'll come back to that here towards the end of the sermon. But let me remind us that two weeks ago, we, we looked at Jesus' teaching as it relates to how Jesus says, Show me your treasure and I will show you your heart. The conclusion in that sermon was that Treasures are first, they're gifts from God. We recognize that from the passage. But secondly, these possessions and treasures, they exist for the love of God, but they also exist for the love of neighbor as well. And we also notice that, that that particular verse, show me your treasure and I'll show your heart, that our treasures are intimately and intricately tied to our heart's desires and their wants. This morning... For this sermon, we're going to build on that and to see how our earthly treasures and our possessions, they can occasionally hinder us. They can occasionally impede us, ourselves, our relationship with Christ, our relationship with others, and also the flourishing of His kingdom. So let's look at the passage that we read just a few minutes ago. Uh, verses 13 through 15. Let me remind us of that, that part. Now someone came from the crowd and said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And he said, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, the people all surrounding Jesus at this time, Watch out and guard yourselves from all greediness. Because not even when somebody has an abundance does his life consist in possessions. Whenever I read the opening part of this passage, the 13th verse, it kind of makes me laugh to myself. It's because as a teacher, we all have had these type of students. It's the ones who ask the most random question at the most random time in order to get you off target. That's that guy right there in the middle of him ministering and teaching others. You have this random person. Hey, tell my brother to do what he's supposed to with the inheritance. And as a good teacher, here's how Jesus responds. He uses it in, in order to go deeper, not only with the one who asked the question, but with those who were around him. And it relates to that word greediness. And he said to them, watch out and guard yourselves from every form of greediness. And we need to pause for a second and consider that word greediness. Some of your translations might say covetousness. 
That's fine. That, I mean, those two overlapped in so many ways. But before we consider that word greediness, let me remind you quickly of a couple of weeks ago what we said about greediness. It is one of the major points of that sermon that our love, our desires, our wants are tied to our finances, tied to our money. Remember what Jesus said, show me your treasure and I'll show you your heart. But let's translate that into the modern world, what Jesus says. Show me the stuff of your house and I'll show you your heart. Show me your garage and I'll show you your heart. The things which you spend time Googling and I'll show you your heart. That'd be one modern translation. Maybe the products of your Amazon wish list. Whew, that could get straight to my heart because I've got five different lists that I work through on that one. Some of them have about 500 things. Some of them about 10. Each of these shows us what we enjoy, what we hope through. Not hope for, but hope through. And we also see what we love, the stuff, the things, the products you buy. We're not saying that they're inherently evil or bad. That's not what I'm saying. I don't think that's what Jesus is after as well. But as we saw a couple of Sundays ago, Jesus isn't against owning and he's not against possessing things. But as the shepherd of our hearts, he's worried about our possessions possessing us. That's the concern that Jesus has. And have you ever watched, uh, this is the season uh, for us to start watching this movie, or for my 7th and 8th graders, they're going to begin reading this in the next month, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. It's one of my favorite tales to watch and to read throughout this opening towards Christmas. Let me remind you of that opening scene with Scrooge and his clerk. They're in the counting house. And here's Scrooge and his clerk. They're calculating every single cent that they've been given. And then this nephew of Scrooge comes in. He has this small conversation with Scrooge. And then he goes away to his party. And then right after that, you have two gentlemen who enter into Scrooge's office. And this actually sets the entire scene for the entire story that happens thereafter. Because this gets to the very heart of Scrooge. They, these two gentlemen arrive and they ask. You remember what they asked for? Donations. Monetary donations in order to help the poor. And so one of the gentlemen says this to Scrooge. A few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. We choose this time because it is a time of all others when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. What shall I put you down for, Mr. Scrooge? Remember what he replies? Nothing. Not a cent. Nothing. Scrooge's possessions, we could say, have possessed him. He doesn't want to give any of the things that he has raked in to others. And his treasures actually reveal the nature of his heart. And that's the very reason why the three uh, spirits of Christmas come and visit him. Because they're getting to the very heart of Scrooge. And just a little fun fact of this. 
Did you know that Charles Dickens wrote that story in a month? And it became a classic, a treasure of not only the American world, but the European world too. So let's look at this greediness, this covetousness that Luke uses in verse 15. In the Greek, the, the word means something like aggressive desire for advantage. It's this desire deeply rooted in the heart that's trying to take advantage in order to help the self, the very person who is longing for. But it doesn't look at other people. It doesn't look at God in the picture. It's just, I'm going to take this, and it's going to be for me, and it's going to be for my advantage and no others. Scrooge is the embodiment of this aggressive desire for advantage. He seeks whatever profits himself without concern or care for others. He also seeks to profit for his own selfish gain. When those who are in need of a helping hand and those who are in need in food and warm room, Scrooge withholds. That shows the nature of his heart. He withholds his treasures. And Jesus cautions us in this passage as well to watch out, but also not just watch out, to guard from all kinds of greediness that the heart can sometimes long for. And Jesus implies not if you will ever deal with greediness, but when you will deal with greediness. It's going to happen. Covetousness is inescapable. A certain part of the broken, sinful heart has this advantage uh, that you want and desire for yourself. And Jesus reminds us to be aware of when the heart desires such goals and gains without concern of our neighbor or God as well. But on top of this, Jesus teaches us to be active in fighting against these things. To be on guard. Think of those who are in a sword fight. They are actively fighting one another against such greediness. Notice also that Jesus is saying here to the church that the Christian faith is not just about Jesus and me. It's not just about me and Jesus, my own personal Savior, and that's it. As if the heart is meant to be made right to God and that's the end of the story. That's not the picture of the Christian faith that you find in the New Testament. These verses show that Jesus advises us to tend to our hearts. Yes, it is about a personal relationship with Jesus, but that's not just it. We are to tend to our hearts for the benefit, the relationship with him, as well as the benefit of others those neighbors and those strangers around us. For Jesus, greediness affects not only the human heart, but it also, it's for the flourishing of our neighbor and those in our community. Think of it like this. We're not really in that time of season where we're planting uh, new flowers, but if I can get us to long past fall and winter already into that time of spring, you planted a new arrangement of flowers in your flower bed, yet you don't water them, yet you don't tend to them, what happens? The flower dies, right? The whole arrangement is, will be dead within no time. 
the rest of the flower, the stem, the leaves, the petals, they will deteriorate and they will decay if they're not watered and tended to. Our treasures are gifts for us to meet the needs of our own families as well as the needs of our neighbors and communities. We have to understand, yes, that a part of us giving and being generous with the treasures and possessions that we have, it requires that we are aware of the greediness in our own heart, to be aware of it, to be on guard against it, and that as that flourishing happens with us between us and Christ, we see also the world around us that is in need of these very treasures and possessions as well. And that we see that the most flourishing, just like that flower, happens when we water the rest of our community around us. Now look at verse 16 with me. He switches in order to illustrate a point about the greediness that he's talking about in the prior verses, in verses 16 through 21. He tells them a parable saying, The land of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he reasoned to himself saying, What should I do? For I do not have anywhere to, I can gather my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And I will gather in there my grain and my possessions. And I will say to myself, Self, you have many possessions stored up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, celebrate. But God said to him, Fool, this night your life is demanded from you. Here's the key part, church. The things which you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and, not, and is not rich toward God. Let's notice a couple of things. First, Jesus says that the man's already rich. He didn't need the abundant harvest. It opens up in verse 16. The land of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He doesn't need to come into his wealth because he is already rich and the abundant wealth already shows the fact that he is rich. The rich man in this passage, in this parable, may be a farmer, which we can connect to in so many ways in this rural church that we're in, but it's not just about this particular farmer, it's about every human being and how we are so generated towards a love of self. The rich man comes by his wealth honestly. Do you notice that? He's not cheating. He's not devouring the less fortunate around him. And he's not abusing employees. He comes by his wealth completely honestly. Second, here's the other thing. Jesus seems to be hinting that the possessions aren't the problem, just like we saw two weeks ago. The possessions are not the problem. It's the way of life that the rich man chooses that is the problem. He has convinced himself. He talks to himself. Self, the way of life that he has convinced himself is about the profits for his own selfish idleness. The words, in, in other words, his abundance is only benefiting the relax, eat, drink, celebrate lifestyle that he has in mind for his future. He's self-motivated in order to feed his own ego and, and to be ultimately self-serving. Not to serve others, but self-serving towards himself. And one scholar notices about this in the original Greek, my 
the word my is used four times. And I, the word I, is used eight times in this parable. Which only reveals that this man is completely self-absorbed. He's not worried about anybody else around him. And when you're thinking, excuse me, when you're doing, when all you're doing is relaxing, eating, drinking, and celebrating, and there's no room for God, there's no room for others, there's no other conclusion except to be self-absorbed about the very possessions and treasures that you have. There was no thought of sharing for this man. There's no thought of stewardship for this man. And there's certainly no thought for the poor, the ill, or even the naked who were all around him. It is complete self-absorption. And you have this last part of the, the parable. The one who is rich toward God. Seems to contrast the rest of the parable so what does it mean to be rich toward God? It is those who give to others as a child of God. So let's land this plane this morning as it relates to the conclusion of this passage. We have many, many options today. And one of the gifts that we've been given is this very day, right? Today is a gift to us. And... I think this really gets to the heart of what Martin Luther was talking about when he says, I will go and plant a tree knowing that Jesus would return tomorrow. He understood that today is a gift. And as we're called as Christ's church, we are to sow and to plant, regardless of what tomorrow has in store. We are to change diapers and wash little bodies, despite what tomorrow has in store. We're to comb through all the many layers of paperwork in our office, regardless of what is in store for tomorrow. We're to teach and direct classrooms, research, as well as counsel cancer patients, regardless of what is going on tomorrow. And to satisfy customers, as well as clean up our homes, yes, we have to, unfortunately, as well as fix dinners, regardless of what's happening tomorrow. Because that is the gift of this very day that God has given us. And as Martin Luther understand, to go and to plant a tree, whether it's changing a diaper and the like, we are called to be obedient to the very things that Christ has given us today. He holds tomorrow, not us. And on top of that, the go and plant a tree is to beautify the world around him. To plant a tree. It takes a lot of labor to plant a tree, just a single tree, to dig the hole, to set it, to cover it up, to maybe put mulch on top and then to water it. It requires so much time. And yet Martin Luther throws that response back to him. Labor in the very things that Christ has called us to labor in, despite how much time it takes today, because Christ holds tomorrow. The question I think we have to wrestle with is this. How can you see your treasures as gifts from our Father that can be used in obedient ways that beautify His name as well as love our neighbors? Let me say it again. How can we see our gifts as treasures from our Father 
that we use obediently just this very day in order to beautify His name. So I would say, not on, uh, to, to connect to Martin Luther, but to build on Luther, don't just go and plant a tree today. Plant dozens of them. Change many of diapers. Go through that paperwork. Whatever that Christ has given you for today, do it with obedience a love of Him as well as the taking care of our neighbors because we take these very treasures God has gifted to us and we have planted them in and all around our house, around our neighborhood, and we allow these gifts to beautify Christ. And on top of that, that others might look and see and recognize and acknowledge that these faith-filled works that we have, they draw them closer into the love and grace of Christ. Go and plant dozens of trees today, church. Let us pray. Father, we thank you because your message is always filled with grace and hope that regardless of how we came in here this morning, overwhelmed, tired, sick, hungry, whatever we lacked, we realize that you are here to feed us and it is always a feast when your word is opened. So may you teach us to treasure you, Jesus, above all things. And that our increasing devotion would be demonstrated in joyful generosity towards others. Because that's how we declare that you alone are our possessions, that you are our supply. And we don't have to fear about what comes tomorrow. That we can meet the needs of others. That we can take the work that we have and we can produce it in such a way that it's for the poor, the sick, the oppressed. Those who are in need of your goodness and grace. And this is done as a service of your body and your kingdom. And we see that every charitable act, we are simply practicing the fact that nothing which passes through our hands has never really truly belonged to us. That you are the generous master. And so, Lord, may you make your church a faithful trustee, teaching us to live as wiser conduits of your grace, learning how to hold so loosely the things of this world, never hoarding that which is yours, never seeking any mean preservation of our own comforts, but rather allow us to love well in our giving even as you, Father, have loved us so well through giving us the many things of Christ and most importantly, giving us Christ himself. And so may we be your church that we can demonstrate that type of selfless, sacrificial giving in our homes, our neighborhoods, and our communities. We offer these things in the name of Christ. Amen.